Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 20. I want to thank you for listening to the Truth About Work podcast and being here so that we have somebody to uh, record podcasts for. And 20 episodes is a little bit of a milestone. Our podcast is obviously still really, really new, but I appreciate you spreading the word because we have thousands of downloads a month now, and it used to be hundreds before, and scores before that. So um, I'm very, very grateful. And I'm grateful to everybody who follows us at Human Workplace. Seems like there are more and more people interested in talking about work and the truth about work, how work could be more human, more creative, more joyful, more everything positive by being more human in every practice and in communication and the energy, the agreement between employers and employees, it all needs to shift. Uh, and it'll be a good thing for all of us when that happens. We had a question came up on the website today and I answered it on Twitter. And it was from Elise. And she told the story about sending in a resume for a job that she was interested in. And after about a month, she got uh, an invitation to go to a phone interview with the hiring manager. I don't know what their title was, if they're the CEO of the entire company or a middle manager, but, but Elise had a phone interview with this manager. And she said immediately at the beginning of the interview, the interviewer started doubting her really rudely. Uh, I don't think you've done this stuff. I think you're embellishing your resume, uh, probing questions like, you know, like she's a criminal. And this is what happens sometimes. It's not an interview. It's an interrogation. And Elise was very unhappy about the experience and felt attacked. And she said, it's weird. I have accomplished a lot. I know it. And I can tell you, I can tell anybody why I got to accomplish all this stuff. I'm thrilled that I did. I, I know I'm fortunate. And, and I was very lucky to work for a company that gave me the opportunity to do a lot of stuff that maybe other companies just wouldn't give folks the opportunity to do in the same position. And I am happy to say that to anybody. I, I got lucky. I, I was in the right place at the right time, a number of times in succession. And as a result, I accomplished this stuff. And if you'd like to know more about how I did it, I will spell it out for you. I will jump up and draw on the whiteboard in your office. If it's a physical interview, which this wasn't, of course, but I'll be happy to explain to you in excruciating detail how we got it done. So doubting me and being skeptical and challenging and impolite, by the way, to say, I don't think you did this stuff, A, is incredibly rude and unprofessional, but B, why did you interview me in the first place if you don't think I did this stuff on my resume? Why would the, why would the manager waste their own time, Liz, and waste mine. And here's what I said. I said, look at Elise, here's what's going on. Let me find the actual tweet and I'll just read it to you. La 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 la. Why did this person? Okay. So here's Elise asking me why, just logically, why would a manager, you know, why would a man ever, I have to wonder, she says, why interview me if you think I'm a fraud? Why waste my time and your time? Thanks, Elise. 
I said, dear Elise, it makes no sense, right? Why look at someone's resume, find fault with it, and still invite the candidate for an interview? Who has time for that? Think about this manager. How many opportunities does he get in life to harass someone for an hour, to picket them and imply or say outright that he doesn't believe them, to make them upset, to make them grovel, to have power over them? Interviews are big occasions for this guy because he gets to demean and diminish people. He also gets to test them. Will this candidate tolerate my abuse? He can't afford to hire someone who will stand up to him. He can't afford to hire someone who knows their value either. He's mired in fear and he confesses that every time he interviews a candidate. His problems have nothing to do with you or your amazing background. He showed you who he is, a fearful, petty person who has to make other people feel bad in order to feel better about himself. Sadly, the working world is full of supervisors who only feel okay around people with no self-esteem. When they broadcast their insecurity early on in the hiring pipeline, rejoice, you dodged a bullet. Slam that door and move on. You only need one manager to get you and thus deserve you. Look for the fear, you guys. Look for the fear. If you want to gauge a manager who's interviewing you and you're simultaneously interviewing them to see if it's a good energetic match and professional match, tell them about your biggest accomplishment, the one you're especially proud of. You know why? Because a confident manager, really the only kind of manager you have time for, will ask you questions about it. They'll say, oh, that's interesting. How did you do that? And did you run into problems with this? And they want to know. They want to learn something right in that interview. But a fearful manager will not be able to deal with your big accomplishment. It will freak them out and they will change the subject and they will studiously avoid talking about the cool thing that you did. Look, here's the thing. I used to think, People like this are just irredeemable jerks, but it's not true. They're people in fear and we've all felt that way and we haven't all acted that way, but then we have to be grateful that we haven't felt so fearful that we would insult a complete stranger. It makes no sense. If you don't think the stuff that I said on my resume is true, don't invite me in. You're gonna invite me in to insult me? But look at you guys, there's also a larger point here. The reason that manager is fearful is because the system, the working system that we use, I call it Godzilla, it's the top-down fear and control based uh, uh, structure we know so well, it instills that fear. It promotes and inspires fear. Everybody walks around at least slightly afraid of doing the wrong thing, looking bad, um, getting in trouble, losing face. That's how it's set up to keep people from straying too far outside the lines or speaking too much truth by hemming them in with fear and rules and policies and hierarchy and looks even, harsh looks, you know, that keep people in a box. And so our topic at Human Workplace and in this podcast is how do we talk about the box, look at the box, uh, pick away at, rip away at, little little rip by rip that box and eventually destroy the box so that work can be 
human, joyful, creative, collaborative, you know, get the best for everybody, shareholders and customers and communities, as well as employees, and get rid of some of these really toxic, traditional ideas about work and leadership. You know, I was, I kind of went into a tweet storm after answering Elise's question because I was like, what is the whole fixation about, is a candidate lying? I've seen so much, so much written about that. And it, it's a topic on HR forums. Is the candidate lying? What are you afraid of? If you know the subject matter, you can ask the right questions to determine if someone did what they said they did. But it's just, in my experience, not that big of a deal, especially when companies, let's be honest, routinely lie to job candidates, routinely, if at least by omission. We don't lay our cards on the table. We're trained not to. And we don't commit. You're going to get a performance review in 12 months, and you'll probably get this this size of pay increase. We, we don't want to be hemmed in ourselves. So how could we worry about, oh, here's a candidate, embellish their experience. Hey, dude, that's your task. That's your responsibility as a as an interviewer to be able to understand exactly what someone did and what they didn't do. Can't blame them, right? People really don't. I've run into maybe two cases in 30 some years of somebody literally making up like a degree. That's, that's the one people tend to invent, a degree. And then there's a background check. No, oh, we never heard of that person on campus. Well, it's sad. It's sad. It's like, oh, dude, you're making up degrees. So they're you know, in a bad place and we're not gonna hire that person. But it's, it's not a day-to-day -day common issue. In my experience, people more typically understate their experience than overstate it. But, but we're looking at a fear-based manager, mired in fear, who's broadcasting that fear every single time they interview a candidate and they're testing them. Can you be with me and not make me more afraid? So you gotta feel sorry for that manager. You don't wanna work for them, but you gotta feel sorry for them even as you get off the phone and say, there is no way in hell I would ever work for this person. You say, wow, but thank goodness to the gods and goddesses and all that is out there that I am not that person, right? We have to be choosy when we can, and you can't always, but when you can, choose trust. Choose a manager who is confident, who's gonna ask you a lot of questions because they're interested in what you did not change the subject they're because they're afraid of what you did because it's threatening to them and you know when we're sufficiently far removed from the unpleasant experience of being you know doubted and challenged and even attacked by a manager on an interview you say wow can you imagine being that person and waking up every day afraid of candidates the thing is employment is this very weird institution and it is an institution just like religion and government employment has its own mindset around it it's very very weird most people respect business people we respect entrepreneurs you call an electrician you call somebody to work on your trees or your yard and and they say here's what i can do here's what it's going to cost and and we respect them we say okay that sounds good we don't talk down to them. We don't feel we own them. We don't typically tell them 
uh, once they start the job, no, you should do this, then you should do that. We don't think we have that power over them. We made a business agreement, signed a contract, and say, yeah, I'll pay you this much up front, and then I'll pay you when you finish the landscaping job or whatever. But employment is completely different. There are almost no rules um, constraining managers from feeling like they control every single aspect of the employee's activities and even thought processes and conversations and dress. It's very, very bizarre. And we have to look at that as to see how bizarre it really is because there is no other grown-up relationship where we let another adult have that much power over us. We justify it in the case of employment by saying, yeah, well, they pay me. But that's no justification. You pay the landscaper. You don't tell them how to lay down the rocks. You pay your landlord. You don't tell them how to, how to do their job. So there's something specific about employment that we need to really investigate and address that has to do with this unequal power relationship. Very, very unequal. People say, I want to follow your teaching, Liz. I want to get stronger in myself. I want to grow these muscles you're talking about. Use my voice and understand my brand and my power in employment or consulting in that those worlds of, of commerce and making money and using my talent. But, uh, you know, it's really hard. And I say, yeah, it's, it is really hard. And you can take tiny steps, a step a day, a step a week. Practice slowly stepping out of the old structure, the box that you were stuck in, and expanding your own possibilities for yourself. It's a slow thing. It's a journey. Um, but there hasn't just really been a lot of conversation about what that journey looks like. It, it is something we've been trained to avoid, to say, let me just get a secure job and just kind of stay there. There's no such thing as a secure job. So we're going to have to do something else. Staying at a job 15 years doesn't guarantee you a 16th year. And, and we have to deal with that. We have to be our own little CEOs of our own lives and careers. And that's what we're all stepping into together. Okay, question here, another one. Oh, oh, speaking of interviews. Okay, this story with Elise is terrible where the hiring manager says, you really did all that? I don't think you did all that. I doubt you. Now think about the relationship. You're starting a relationship. If Elise would actually go to work for this guy, this is how they're starting a relationship. Who would work for somebody who starts a relationship by belittling you and accusing you of lying? How bizarre is that? But it's traditional, you guys. I've heard this so many times. As an HR person, there were two disgusting, horrendous examples of this phenomenon, doubting candidates testing them and manipulating them uh, that, that showed up in social media within the last couple of years. You might have heard about these, one or both of them. One was this awful story about a CEO. I don't know if it's real or not, made all the traditional business press. Um, and people said, oh, look what the CEO does, such a clever trick for interviewing candidates. Supposedly, I don't believe this really happened, but it was written about quite a bit. And it's, it's an archetype, right, of like, oh, this clever CEO. CEO takes a candidate to lunch at a fancy restaurant for a final interview before extending a job offer. And supposedly, they tell the waiter in advance to mess up the candidate's 
lunch order, bring the wrong stuff, to see how the candidate responds, to see how they deal with this adversity. Now think about that. If that were true, if that were true, and once you come on board, you find out about this practice that happened to you because you read about it in the paper online or you hear about it from employees. Oh yeah, did, he, did the boss pull that trick on you or you ordered the wrong lunch? You're horrified. You're like, that's how you treat me? Like a person that has to be manipulated and put into an artificial situation of adversity? Screw you, Jack. I mean, I'm gone. Who would put up with that? And this is the thing, you guys. Tests for self-esteem. Managers who test to see if you have too much self-esteem to work for them. There was a worse one. I think it was Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur. And I sort of vaguely know the guy, I think, who wrote it, wrote this story, a profile on a woman, a CEO, who said in the pages of a magazine that halfway through an interview with every direct report to her, she says, I don't think it's going to work out. I don't think I should hire you and lets them grovel and beg for the job. And that's how she hires people. And she says this in print. And I just happened to comment on Twitter. This is heinous or some, some adjective I used. And the guy wrote back and said, I don't think it's heinous or whatever it is, dude. It's the idea that like, if you can grovel, if I can break you in this interview, if you will beg for a job with me, who, who has so little self-esteem, they're going for an executive job, with this lady, but they have to beg for the job in order to be worthy of it. Your mom, I mean, what, what are we really talking about, you guys? Something broken, toxic, um, need to control other people even more sometimes than the need for the business to succeed, right? I have to be surrounded by people I can dominate. And how anybody could call that leadership, much less put that on a pedestal and write an article about it is beyond me really is. But we have this, uh, you know, we have this mythology about employment, that this is good management, this is good leadership. Oh, this is very clever. You, you set out tests for them. What? You know, it, it, we would never submit as, as leaders to, to undergo those tests ourselves, but we have to be on top, which is the opposite of leadership, right? Because leadership is an openness to say, I don't know, what do I know? I'm just faking it every day like everybody else. Let's figure it out. How in, in, in God's name would I know what to do? I've never done this stuff before. That's leadership. The, leadership is having people follow you voluntarily such that you can face front and climb up the hill and people will come up the hill behind you. You don't have to check constantly to see if they're there. Traditional supervision is the opposite of leadership. And this is the fear-based kind we see so much of where you're, you're walking up the hill backwards much more slowly because you're constantly checking the troops to make sure they're doing what you told them to do. It's not leadership. All right, last topic is HR folks. I um, am excited. I'm doing a webinar. It's next Tuesday, the 21st of February, and it's called HR for a Changing Landscape, Mal Managing T Talent in Turbulent Times these times right here we're living through COVID-19 and beyond managing talent in turbulent times. Um, write to us for details on the webinar. If you can't find it, we are support at humanworkplace.com. Thanks you guys. Have an awesome day.